You're listening to the Refined Hippie Podcast, a show all about holistic lifestyle, nutrition, and plant-based veganism for a mind-body-spirit approach to living healthfully and happily for ourselves and our planet. Welcome back to another episode, my lovely friend. I am your host, Rebecca Henson. Thank you so much for joining me today. When this episode airs, I will actually be in New York City. I am getting everything ready before I leave. I'm going to schedule the podcast so it will air on time. But I am really excited. I have not been to New York in a little over five years, I think. Um, My husband has cousins who are from Belgium, and they were planning this New York trip and contacted us and said, you know, if you're able to, we'd love to see you if you happen to want to meet up in New York. So that is what we're doing. Um... But yeah, I was there five years ago with my mom, and I am really excited. Of course, I'm excited to see family, but I'm also really excited about the food. Let's let's be real. The food in New York City for organic plant-based vegan people is insane, and I already have plans. So one of the main places that I wanted to go while we're in New York is called The Butcher's Daughter. (laughs) There are quite a few locations in New York. There's also a few in LA, I think. Um, I've been to both. I've been to the one in Abbott Kenny in LA, but then I've also been to the one in New York in West Village. So we have plans for that. I have been dreaming about their pizza since I was there five years ago in New York. And the one in LA does not have the pizza. They have different menus. And so I was really bummed when we went to LA, which was after my New York trip, and found out they didn't have that pizza because I had been, you know, dreaming about it. And so after five years, I'm finally going to have their pizza from the Butcher's Starter. The other place that I'm excited to try out, actually, that I've never been, is called Le Botaniste. I'm saying that probably really wrong. Um, Basically, The Botanist in French. And it happens to be just around the corner from our VRBO, which is on the Upper East Side. Um, But it looks insane. It has this like really cool European feel. And it's so funny. It's like it's meant to be because I was looking on their website and was reading about their about page. And apparently they got their start or inspiration from Belgium. Like what are the odds, right? And they have a few, I think three, three uh, locations in Belgium, two in Brussels and then one in this town. Um, I don't know how you pronounce it, but it's spelled G-H-E-N-T. Um, so I was like, wow, this is, this is crazy that we're literally going to meet Belgian cousins and then this plant-based organic vegan restaurant is inspired by Belgium and basically began their story there. So I'm stoked. I'm stoked about the food. I'm stoked about seeing family and doing the, playing the whole tourist part, which is always fun. I think, you know, we need to embrace being a tourist because I am a tourist. I don't live there. So it's all good. We're going to do some touristy things. We're going to go to Staten Island. We're going to go to Top of the Rock with them. And uh, it's going to be great. So yeah. So when this when this airs, if you happen to listen to it on the day that it airs, be sure to check out my stories because I probably will be posting a lot of yummy, yummy food. But with that being said, let's jump in to today's episode. 
which is with a naturopathic doctor, Dr. Amy Hawkins. She and I met at a women's health event, and I was really excited to reach out to her and see if she wanted to come on, and thankfully she did, and we had a great conversation surrounding women's health and postnatal depletion. Now, I think this episode can go for anyone if you know a woman or are a woman. You don't have to necessarily be postpartum. You don't even have to be pregnant or anything. But if you know somebody, and chances are you do, who has had a baby, planning on having a baby, I think this this episode could be really helpful because postnatal depletion is kind of a newer term. Obviously, it's existed forever, but now we actually have a name to this condition. And Amy has been focusing on this particular condition her entire career. So this is this is her whole forte. This is what she does is help women who are dealing with this. So we get into all of her story, why she became a naturopathic doctor, what does naturopathic medicine mean? We then of course chat about postnatal depletion, symptoms of postnatal depletion, we discuss postpartum experience in other countries, how to find postpartum support, and how we really push ourselves too far in our modern society. We also discuss feminism, judging for versus supporting, prioritizing self-care, and when to ask for help. This is a really great episode. I think it is important for all women to listen to, and I hope you enjoy. So without further ado, here is my chat with Dr. Amy Hawkins. Hi, Amy. Welcome. Hey, thank you so much for having me. I am so excited. Like I said before we started, um, I just love having in-person conversations. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So thank you for coming to my house and having some tea and just sitting and chit-chatting with me. Thank you. It's it's an absolute joy. All of your listeners should know how amazingly beautiful your house is. (laughs) (laughs) Well, it has been um, a lot of sweat and tears, as it often is. (laughs) So it took a while. It's a work of art. It is. And it's a, a work of love, I think, you know, trying to make a home like a home. Yeah. To where you want to like be there all the time which is how I feel like in this space you know yeah it's supposed to be your sanctuary right place where you can unplug and relax and let the stress melt away and totally the one place that you (laughs) for like safety you know like to feel safe a safe space yeah so yeah so I'm so happy that we met um when was that that was the women's convention what it was like a women's health Women's health event. Yes, yeah. I don't remember the official. I know I can't remember what the name was. Organized by our lovely Shelly Lane at Beacon Thermography. Yeah, yeah, she's great. I need to have her on here too. Thermography is insane. She would be a great guest. Yeah. She could talk all day about thermography. She's <laughs> very knowledgeable. Yeah, yeah. So we met there and um, discovered we had obviously similar interests because we were at women's health. I know. Honestly, I think we have even more similar interests than where we were like talking before recording, like jam bands and (laughs) (laughs) all kinds of soul sister over there. Yeah, I know. My hippie soul sister. Um, So you are a naturopathic or you say you pronounce it differently. I feel like 
how do you spell it? How do you pronounce naturopathic? You can pronounce it naturopathic or naturopathic. naturopathic. I mean, it Every, does look like either, right? You know, tomato, tomato. Yeah. Tomato, tomato. It, it works out. And <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I say naturopathic, but I think that's my Southern accent. I uh, love it. Kicking in. Um, yeah. Naturopathic physician, naturopathic doctor. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So before we like get into some, all the health, some health stuff, postnatal natal, natal depletion and some other things, how I would love to know like, how did you become a naturopathic doctor? Like what was your, your like moment that you're like, this is what I want to do. So that's a good question. I always knew I wanted to be a doctor. I blame my mom for that. She kind of pushed me (laughs) in a positive loving way. But uh, no, seriously, I mean, I always, when I was really young, of course, I wanted to be a veterinarian because I wanted to take care of all the, all the animals. But um, I knew I wanted to be a doctor and I loved all my biology classes in high school and early in college and very quickly committed to majoring in biology and doing the pre-med track. And um, I went to UNC, so I was, of course, hoping to get into medical school at UNC and had everything mapped out. And um, actually, as many of us do, had my own health challenges. Um, Really growing up, I was sick often. I mean, I had ear infections and strep throat constantly. And in my last couple of years of college, when I was going through, you know, very demanding pre-med curriculum at UNC, I just was constantly sick. I mean, I had strep throat incessantly. I was always on antibiotics and it was really running me down and I was just becoming very, very sick overall, not just strep throat, you know, all the antibiotics and everything was just tearing my system apart. And I was a little interested in herbal medicine, like, you know, I was already kind of a hippie chick, so I was a little interested in, in natural health, but at that time I was, you know, vegetarian, so I was like, well, I mean, Snickers are vegetarian, right? <laughs> so I, was, I wasn't quite doing it right, uh, right. and uh, my aunt actually said, you know, you should go see a naturopathic doctor, and I was like, okay, I'll check this guy out, and I uh, actually went to see um, who I now know, I didn't know at the time, but was uh, the first naturopathic doctor in North Carolina is who I went to see. He was in Chapel Hill and he's actually still a dear friend. Um, he's retired, but we still keep in touch. Um, I went to see him. He took one look at me uh, wearing my Ben and Jerry shirt because I was working at Ben and Jerry's and said, oh, honey, you're allergic to dairy. And so stop eating dairy. And here's this tincture. And I don't know what it was, but it was probably, you know, echinacea and golden seal and some phytolacca mixed together in a tincture bottle. And he said, gargle with this once a day and uh, stop eating dairy and come back in four weeks and we'll see how you're doing. And I literally never had strep throat ever again. I mean, it was that simple wow, and that simple yeah and that was such an awakening and a lot of people have a different experience first course, time everybody's empathic yeah. medicine where it's like oh i had to do all these you know yeah. gut healing protocols and everything but for me it was the beauty of it was in the simplicity and actually knowing gil now that's you know having talked to him now that i'm no longer his patient um that was always his intention to keep things as simple as possible and such a, sh- a simple shift and it's such a natural therapy completely changed my health, completely transformed my health. Um, Obviously, I was young, so it was a little easier to push me back in the right direction. Um, But that started my process of thinking differently and questioning things and thinking, huh, how come nobody ever thought maybe I was allergic to dairy before, you know? And um, 
I just shifted my focus and started learning more and more and more about herbal medicine at that point and um, decided not to apply to medical school. I graduated from UNC, of course, but I decided not to apply to medical school. And I moved to the West Coast and started studying um, herbal medicine and natural healing and just kind of everything I could get my hands on, just exploring those options. And obviously, there were a lot of people out there at the time where, you know, I could learn in an informal way. And um, through the years, I just became more and more passionate um, and eventually applied to naturopathic medical school because I just, I joke sometimes, I say I I became a doctor by accident because I just kept following my passion and Mm. I kept taking it to a higher level where I was like, I want to learn more, I want to learn more, I want to learn more. And I found myself at naturopathic medical school in Seattle. So yeah, it's been a fun journey. Yeah. And being out West, you definitely have, I mean, just a plethora of different types of healers, right? And different modalities. So yeah, being able to be exposed to that. How did your parents feel about you? Like not being in a, going the allopathic route? Were they like, okay, but, or like, (laughs) my mom is radically supportive. So she she was super proud. You know, both my parents, I mean, both my parents were, especially my mom. She cheered me on every step of the way. So yeah, she just, my mom was a child of the 70s. I was born in 1974. So she, uh, you know, she was like, go, girl, follow your dreams. Go, Be girl. Free. Yeah. Girl so, power. <laughs> so it was, it was good. Um, yeah. So I, that's how I discovered naturopathic medicine. And when I went to school, I, I went in planning to focus on women's health and um, originally thought I was going to be a midwife, but I actually had my first child at the end of my second year in medical school. So I, I discovered really quickly that I that would be pretty hard to do the midwifery training along with my naturopathic training and attend births all night long and oh such. Gosh. So yeah, <laughs> I was like eh, a little hard with my own baby, but I kept that women's health focus um, mm. and have carried that through my career. Um, I've also had kind of a subspecialty in pediatrics as well because you know kids often come along with with women, and so you know it's a good co specialty. And, um, through my journey with focusing on women's health, I kind of got even more focused on depletion because again, of personal health experience. I mean, most of us become passionate about this medicine because of our own experience, Um, and so, yeah, I had that initially, but then even going through the experience of having a child in medical school and pushing too hard and not honoring my body's needs and not taking time. I mean, I was back when my son was five days old. I mean, five days postpartum, I was back sitting in the back row in my neuroanatomy class, taking notes and breastfeeding. (laughs) Oh my gosh. Talk about pushing yourself. That's the most extreme story I think I've heard. It was pretty extreme, but, um, you know, I didn't want to fall behind. But you thought that's what you needed to do. That's what I needed to do. Um, so pushed myself way too hard and went through a period of really, really severe depletion, exhaustion. I mean, you know, all the things and became even more passionate about educating women on how to take care of themselves and Mm -hmm. prevent that sort of thing you know, along the way. So um, now my focus is really, really helping exhausted and overwhelmed women find the answers that they need and 
and turn that around, you mm-hmm. know, come out of that severe depletion. We all push ourselves too hard, mm-hmm. w- whether you're a mom or not. Mm-hmm. In modern womanhood or <laughs> modern, you know, Society. Whatever. I mean, <laughs> our society, it's like, you know, you watch movies or... I mean, just normal, yeah, the media, I don't, they, and they, they also, they also kind of push it as this, like, badge of honor, like, mm-hmm. look at me, I'm, I, I can do it all, I'm hustling, I'm a mom, I'm doing all this stuff, mm-hmm. and it's like, that is not good for you, <laughs> yeah, like, yeah, I mean, I'm a feminist all the way, yes, me too, girl, all the, I'm, like I said, I'm, yeah, I was a girl, I was a Spice Girl, girl of the Spice Girl <laughs> age, okay, so I'm like, girl power, and, you know, <laughs> I mean, we're all feminists, but, yeah. Feminism has, you know, that movement has oh. left us in a position where we have to be the perfect wife, the perfect mom, run the perfect business, Everything. be the perfect career woman, like, and keep the house perfect and mm-hmm. do all the perfect meal planning with all the perfect organic everything. And, well, you know, it's... I it's still feel this pressure now. Too <laughs> much, you know, we're, we're doing too much and we have to, to prioritize self-care and we have to, you know be realistic about what we can demand of ourselves and we have to get help and that is so hard Mm -hmm. for so many of us to ask for help Mm -hmm. yeah yeah i guess that's like a societal i don't know i don't know i mean because for men it's even worse i think though i mean they're even more afraid to say ask for help you know and this is why they like internalize at least we do talk about our emotions most of the time you know true men do not (laughs) (laughs) and then they just push it all down which we're not we're talking about the women right now but you know our guys on the podcast though we already said we should that would be fun have them talk about male depletion i know which is a thing and i i you know they put a lot of pressure on themselves you know which is also a society thing of being like the provider or, you know, mm-hmm. making sure your family's safe and taken care of and all this. Mm-hmm. And it's a lot. I mean, yeah, we're all, no matter if you're a female or a male, you know, mm-hmm. you're all, you're getting it from all angles kind of, of yeah. expectations, I guess. Yeah. I think our culture, you know, in this country is probably, I mean, I've never lived in another country, but yeah. I think we take that to the nth degree, you know, I, I mean, I know at least in my research with, um, you know, the postpartum experience in other countries, women are supported so differently. I mean, it's expected that you're going to stay in bed with your baby for 30 days and you are going to have food brought to you and someone else will be cleaning your house and taking care of your children, either your mom or your aunt or your mother-in-law or, you know, the the women in your community will step in and take care of things while you rest. And so even... And that's just a societal norm. Like not doing it that way is unacceptable versus in our culture that, I mean, we don't even come close to that. No, there's no, yeah, there's nothing that resembles that. Yeah. And for the majority, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. And then when we think about like Scandinavian countries, you know, it's, it's expected, what do they get? Like two years of paid. Insane. Maternity leave maternity and paternity and, leave. And the male does. Yeah, the yeah. husband and does too. It might be more than two years. I, I don't know. I should have brushed up on that No, I think, I mean, it's at least two years. Yeah. And and the male gets like a year or something. I mean, mm-hmm. here do they, I don't even know. Most places don't even give paternity leave. Do it, they? I don't. Uh, not paternity they, leave. You can do family leave, but. Um, it's not paid. Maternity leave is usually empty. only three months. Yeah. Which, I mean, at that point, if you're breastfeeding, your baby's still breastfeeding. I mean, it's just insane. So we're just not set up. Our culture isn't set up to support women or families like we should. And so it's up to us. I mean, mm-hmm. be the change that you want to see, right? Totally. So yeah. 
Yeah. That's a big job, though. That is a big job. (laughs) And to to get that, you know, change. I mean, it's just like any any change. It takes time, you know, and awareness of and acceptance. I mean, people need to to recognize that they're not that they shouldn't be expected to to do all those things and be up and at their job, you know, and, and then you have to, I mean, you know, I have mixed, well, I don't have mixed feelings on that. I used to, I think, I think I used to be as far as my like feminist views, they were more extreme feminist, I guess, or what I thought was a feminist, you know, mm-hmm. of what I'd been told was to be, you know, I mean, you can't still have it. I don't know. It was just like, be a corporate, you can be a corporate right, mom, yeah. and all this kind of stuff. Yeah. And I'm like, that, now I'm means like, go to work. yes, feminism but, means yeah. go to work, but it's like, feminism should mean do what you want. Do what you, exactly. <laughs> that is the difference. And then you see on that social media, people attacking moms because they, you know, maybe they're a stay at home mom and then they get all this hate for that. And it's like, but that that's the great thing. You can choose. Yeah, you can exactly. choose now. If that's Good what choice. you want to do, you know, and I do think that there's, something to be said for, you know, having your mom there for your most important yeah. early, eight, you know, years of your life yeah. rather than yeah. being at a daycare, you yeah. know. I mean, not it doesn't even necessarily have to be your mom if it can't be your mom. Yeah, Just true. a trusted caregiver. I yes. mean, someone who's yeah. going to nurture you and love you and, you know. Yeah. yeah, you hit the nail on the head. It's all about choice, you know, and we – really have to work on that as women even I mean there's a lot of judgment that comes even like the last thing we should be doing is judging each other we need to be lifting each other up and celebrating and supporting each other not thinking oh you know you know judging people for staying home or judging people for going to work or judging yeah that's not feminist that's that's not feminist to judge your fellow lady you know we're all just doing our best to keep it together and accepting imperfection, you know, I always aspire to that, yeah. even within myself, which is kind of a challenge. It's always more of a challenge for yourself, <laughs> for sure. I I can preach it all day long, but actually doing it yourself is harder, right? <laughs> no, I had to laugh at myself one day. I was making my kids smoothies, and I can smoothies every afternoon after school. And um, I, you know, was beating myself up that day about, oh, my gosh, my kids had, you know, chicken tenders last night. I'm a terrible mom, and my kids aren't eating healthy enough. And then I just had, like, a moment where I happened to, you know, how sometimes you see yourself from the outside. I saw the smoothie ingredients lined up on the counter, and I just had to laugh. And I was like, <laughs> okay, Amy. You're doing good. You're, you're doing, doing just you're fine. Doing just we got the chia seeds and the hemp parts. Beautiful. And the <laughs> oil and the spirulina and the frozen organic blueberries. It sounds like, lovely. They're fine. Yeah. <laughs> they're fine. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. You know. have to take that step back and notice what you're doing really well and celebrate that. I mean, yeah. you know, as a health coach, mm-hmm. what's the, I mean, celebrating your wins. Yes, absolutely. How important is that? Yeah. Yeah. That's what keeps you going. It's what keeps you going. Yeah. I mean, you can't fixate on the things that you're not doing. You have to fixate on the things you are doing, you know, because that's the most important. That's how you're going to get there. And, you know, healing in general is not, you know, there's all these memes for that. It's not a linear process. There's lots of ups and downs. I mean, it's like literally a mountainous terrain. Mm -hmm. You're going to have some setbacks and then, you know, it's two steps towards one step back. Mm -hmm. Often happens. And, but you just have to hold the faith, I think, you know. Yeah. Yeah. Every day is a new day. Set those realistic goals that you can achieve so you get to celebrate them, right? Because that puts the wind in your sails. 
Keeps the wind in your sails, I guess you should say. <laughs> Keeps it, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> just a li- just a, even if it's just a little wind, you know, just a little just sail. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Doesn't have to be a big gust. <laughs> so postnatal depletion. I had never, I have not heard this term until you, I think. Um, but I have a lot of friends who are new moms, and I, I feel like they are all experiencing this, or quite a few of them. Mm-hmm. So... What does that even look like? Is it just like, what are the the symptoms being just exhausted? I mean, is it like, what? explain that. So, I mean, you're right. Postnatal depletion is a term that not many people have heard. It's a newer concept. Um, It's work that I've been doing for my whole career. I mean, helping exhausted women and especially, you know, moms have a a special level of exhaustion um but only recently have I even discovered that oh this has actually been named and and quantified and formalized and there's more research being done in this area and when I discovered this body of work it was so exciting because it was just like thank you someone (laughs) is finally (laughs) naming this yeah um and and recognizing it it, and recognizing it it, normalizing it understanding Mm -hmm. it so that we can target our support consistently, you know, so that it it can reach a much broader audience and people can become aware. So um, postnatal depletion, I mean, women experience it differently, but usually it it the commonalities are obviously severe fatigue or you know mild to severe fatigue. I mean, fatigue can kind of be at all levels, but also, typically, there's some mental health issue, you know, a little bit of low mood, some anxiety, some, you know, short-temperedness, we'll say. Now, this is not to say that postpartum depression isn't real, because it very much is, and, and that's, you know, it's different, um, but I would actually venture a guess that a lot of times when women are diagnosed with postpartum depression they're actually suffering from postpartum depletion and they Mm -hmm. need really targeted support to actually rebuild themselves Mm -hmm. and yes of course if you need an antidepressant and you have actual diagnosable postpartum depression Mm -hmm. that is the absolute appropriate course of action but I just wish that there was intervention earlier you know where women could could get the support they need and before it got that far. Um, so sorry, I, I digress. So yeah, the fatigue, mood disruption, anxiety, short temper, brain fog, brain fog all like, I mean, yeah. if you've experienced brain fog, which I'm sure many people who are listening have, like, you know, <laughs> oh, I can't get from point A to point B without going past X, Y, and Z, you know, and I can't, can't finish a thought and what's going on why have I lost my keys for the Mm. 75th time today um and you know brain fog can get so severe that I mean people sometimes literally feel like they're looking through a fog I mean it, it can get that bad um so brain fog is definitely a component um usually loss of libido hormone imbalance sometimes GI disturbance but then that gets back to more of like a foundational piece where you know was that there before again we're still learning about postpartum depletion so um, the stress hormone piece can certainly contribute to GI dysfunction but that's not necessarily a hallmark of post um, needle depletion so what else what have I not covered sensitivity to noise and light 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, which a lot of moms experience, and we're actually realizing now that that's usually due to cortisol, ele- chronic elevated cortisol. Um, I mean, it, it goes back, this, this is why it's so fascinating, it's just like one of hundreds of examples. You know, when we put all the pieces together, connect all the dots, we realize, okay, well, why are exhausted moms sensitive to light? Well, because their cortisol is crazy high, and their a adrenaline is crazy high, you know, their epinephrine, norepinephrine. And so they cannot, literally their pupils cannot hold constriction. So, you know, normally when you're in in low light, your pupils are dilated so you can see better. And when you're in brighter light, your pupils constrict. So you don't get too much light in your eyes. It doesn't hurt your eyes. Well, when your stress hormones are out of whack, your pupils kind of go in and out. They can't hold a dilation or a constriction. Yeah. So you're sensitive to light. Yeah, I no mean, wonder. hello, yeah, duh. Yeah. yeah. So, oh my gosh. <laughs> so there's so many things like that where we're starting to really connect the dots and understand exactly why things are happening and why these symptoms are occurring and how consistent they really are among women. And the really mind-blowing thing is, you know, we think, oh, postnatal depletion. Oh, yeah, you have a new baby. You're a tired mom. Yes, that and... Women can experience the um, the symptoms of postnatal depletion for up to ten years postpartum. Wow! If it, yep, yeah. Wow! Uh, yeah, that's intense. Uh, that's intense. Yeah. And then they just get so. I mean, people often get so used to how they feel, they just think that's their normal. You know, yeah. like oh. it becomes your new normal that you don't know what it feels like to feel better, to you feel good. You what know, feeling good yeah. feels like yeah. Or you know, and I should say, and not or. You go to your doctor and say, I feel this way. And, oh, well, you're just a mom. Of course you feel that way. And that's the problem. That's why this has been ignored and hasn't been studied because it's just the mom syndrome, right? Yeah, you're a mom. You're supposed to feel that way. Welcome to mom life. Welcome (laughs) to the club. Like, get over it. Move on. So it's it's totally normalized and totally accepted, but it it shouldn't be that way. It doesn't have to be that way. You don't have to feel that way. Mm -hmm. You can still feel your best. Now, of course, when you have a new baby and when you're breastfeeding all hours of the night mm-hmm. and you're up a million times, you're going to be exhausted. But that doesn't have to continue. Mm-hmm. You know, you can put the support in place, um, ideally in that first month postpartum, you know, and like definitely in the first month postpartum and, you know, even optimally for the first three months postpartum so that you give yourself the opportunity to kind of reset and rebuild and rest, you know, literally sleep mm-hmm. and have optimum nutrition. Um, we also know that I'm, I'm totally jumping around. Sorry, Girl, <laughs> you are not jumping around. This is perfect. <laughs> we also know that after, you know, I mean, we've always known that after a woman has a baby, you know, when you're pregnant, your estrogen and progesterone are like insanely high. I mean, crazy, crazy high. And after you deliver your baby, after you have your baby, your estrogen and progesterone tank. I mean, just go down to almost nothing, which is basically like going through menopause overnight. Whoa. Right? It's kind of the same hormone situation. Mm. So obviously that's hard. Now, that's supposed to fix itself. Your hormones are supposed to reset with the help of, you know, your cortisol regulation and the oxytocin that you got from labor and delivery and like, also from breastfeeding, you know, everything is supposed to work beautifully and yeah, reset and balance back out at about one month. Mm-hmm. 
But that doesn't happen if you aren't getting sleep and -hmm. if you aren't getting nutrition and if you aren't mentally and emotionally supported. And that is why cultures where they follow ancient wisdom a little more closely send grandma in to take care of absolutely everything while mom sleeps for a month and does like ideally the mom's only job is to rest eat and breastfeed her baby like that is the optimal situation that's not reality for most of us but when that can be reality that's what sets you up to have that hormone reset at one at about one month like it's supposed to Mm -hmm. so if you can't get that rest and you can't get that nutrition that hormone imbalance and those nutritional deficiencies and everything just continue Mm. and that's where we get into a position where you can feel that depletion for up to 10 years of course it's not going to be as severe as early on um but yeah, you can you can have that, and then if you have more than one child, oh gosh, <laughs> then kind of adds do up. That. <laughs> <laughs> it yeah. adds up, and then okay, we all wait a little longer to have babies now, right? So you know, say if you have your last baby at about thirty-five, and you're still ten years postpartum, and now what's happening? Hello, perimenopause. So it's so important to rebuild yourself and take that time and get the support you need and get your nutrition and get the right testing. And, you know, I'm not saying everybody feels this way, but if you do, fix it. Yeah, fix it. Well, yeah. And like you're saying that it's just accepted. And so I think a lot of women probably do just write it off. I mean, if they're hearing that, you know, they might be confiding to their friends or family or whatever and telling people how they feel and and oftentimes to try to make them feel better, they'll say, oh, well, that's just, you just, you know, you're a new mom. Mm-hmm. It's a lot. You know, mm-hmm. they'll try to write it off. And mm-hmm. so then the person's like, oh, okay, that's probably right. This, I guess just everybody feels this mm-hmm. way, you know, <laughs> however it is. And then they yeah. just keep going that way, you know? Yeah. yeah. Again, yeah, exactly. Totally normalized. Yep. And with the food stuff, it's like, I mean, I've, trying to find outside help, I feel like it's even harder nowadays because a lot of times people do move away from, you know, our culture is very, mm-hmm. American culture is all about leaving, you know, and, and a lot of these uh, cultures around the world that you're probably referring to, they stay in the same town, you know, yeah. which we used to, Our you know, it, it, I feel like in the, I don't know, I wonder when that started, when it started that people started moving away more, but you know, generally it was like the same generation. You had the same family and generations had been in the same town or whatever. Now you don't do that anymore. So you move to a town where you have no one. Mm-hmm. You have some friends, but they're not, you know, it's not, there's some friends that are awesome. I would do that for my <laughs> friends, but, but not all of, not all friends will. So, yeah. Um, but yeah, with the food stuff, it's like our culture has gotten so used to convenience foods, which are obviously mm-hmm. not nutritionally dense and, then if you're a new mom, you're trying to whatever you can get quick to like eat, yeah. which is ends up probably being yeah. junk, right? Yeah. yeah, yeah. So that's the big question. I mean, what do we do? That and I and I'm still asking myself that question. I mean, I've been taking care of my my patients, you know, in traditional, you know, one on one care. You know how we're all used to seeing the doctor, but you you can't reach enough people that way. Like there yeah. has to be a core shift in our understanding and our consciousness around it and we have to get to women 
when they're pregnant. Yes, and before be like, it even starts. Here's how yeah. you set it up. Here's yeah. how you need to set up your postpartum time, your yeah. you know, these first three months for for success. Right. Um, and or if we can't get to women then, or even if they do everything, you know, as best they can, and you know, set things up so that they are well cared for. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, getting the information out that even in the you know three, six, nine, twelve months postpartum or four years postpartum, like educating women on, you know, what they can do to, to help themselves, you know, Mm -hmm. how, how important it is. And, um, I know I'm honestly still wrapping my head around how we do that. I mean, and especially rolling it out to, you know, everyone, like regardless of your, your means, your socioeconomic status. And I mean, yeah, if you have resources I mean, you know, sign up with Clean Eats in Wilmington. Mm-hmm. Have your food delivered for the yeah. first month. Like, you have to, perfect. Yeah, true. Yeah. But not everybody can do that. No. So, yeah, that becomes plugging into your community and and plugging into your mom friends. And, you know, I think that's where it gets back to not being afraid to be vulnerable and to ask for help. One of my very, very best friends in medical school, um, she actually was, she's a naturopathic physician. She still practices in Seattle. Um, and she's also a, a naturopathic midwife and, um, she caught all my babies, which Aww. is lovely. And, um, but I was so impressed with her when she had her first, we were over there one night, her, her son was probably like three months old and we were over there and you know, we'd gone over for dinner, brought dinner over and she was getting ready for bed and she announced to the group, you know, all right, who's taking the morning shift? And I hadn't yet even heard. I was like, wait morning shift what's this morning shift and she was like oh yeah because her sister lived in town and um she had a couple of really close friends who were neighbors um I lived across town so I had not been clued in on the morning shift before (laughs) so she had a full expectation and understanding with her support team that someone you know babies tend to wake up super early in the Mm -hmm. morning that someone had morning shift with her son and she would sleep he would wake up at 5 a.m. and she would stay in bed and get uninterrupted sleep until 8 a.m. for, you know, a solid three hours of sleep, which gives her two full adult sleep cycles. Um, and that was just normal. Yeah. And wow. expected and just unapologetic. And everybody was on board. They yeah. just needed to know what she needed. Yeah, and she, made she had to known. delegate yeah. what to do. Yeah. It was just morning shift. Okay, wow. let's do it. And obviously most often it was her husband yeah. and her sister. Yeah. But that expectation was there. And she set that expectation before he was even born. Wow. You know, so just that was so, so different. Yeah. different. Yeah. <laughs> normally most of us would say, it's fine. Oh, no, I'll be okay. I got it. Yeah, I know. I'll be fine. I'll get yeah. up at 5 a.m. after nursing all night. Yeah. <laughs> Gosh. <laughs> so just those little shifts. Mm-hmm. And 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 normalizing the conversation and feeling empowered to ask for the help that you need, I think, mm-hmm. can start the change. Um, a local resource that you should have you should have her on your podcast soon um, is my friend Alex Richardson. She has a nonprofit called the Fourth Trimester Mission. I was actually just at her fundraiser this weekend. Beautiful fundraiser at Blue Water Grill. She just started this nonprofit about a year ago. She just celebrated her one-year anniversary. And 
um, she provides postpartum support to new moms and it's amazing. It's so simple and so powerful. She, you know, new moms just sign up, they get a free home visit and she brings a meal, a free meal, a free home visit, and they just talk and figure out what support that new mom needs and how things are going. And I mean, she's not a medical professional. It's just the support of another mom who has more experience and more knowledge and has walked that road right before you. And, you know, she connects moms with a nutritionist or a pelvic floor therapist or an open-minded practitioner, you know, just gives them the resources that they likely don't even know exist. And, um, and then also has sometimes weekly, sometimes monthly new mama meetups. So also along with that building the community, right? Which is what new moms need. So we need a million things like that happening. Totally. (laughs) All across the country. Yes. Yeah. 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 That's amazing. And just having a conversation with somebody who's already, you know, been down your path is so helpful. You know, I've, I've experienced that just with, you know, having a healing journey or having, having an illness, you know, talking to somebody who's already experienced it or healed or, you know, been through it. It just, it's so powerful, you know? Yeah. Yeah. It's so powerful just to know what's possible Mm, to be able to see ahead of, you know, their experience and, you know, what resources they plugged into or, you know, their Ideally, their story of healing and mm-hmm. overcoming that health challenge just gives you that hope and yes. that direction. Yeah. Yeah. And helps yeah. you avoid the same mistakes. Yeah. You know. um, going back to naturopathic medicine, I was I looked on your website earlier and there were a few things that I loved. Um, well, all of it I loved. But um, one, on, I guess it was about, it was the section about naturopathic medicine. It said, um, doctor as teacher yeah. and then it had an explanation of that and I just that just resonated with me so much because I feel like well I know <laughs> that generally allopathic medicine at this point is it's not doctor as a teacher is doctor do what I tell you to do <laughs> you know it's not really guiding and I love you know your kind of work because it is trying to give people the tools and the knowledge for them to heal themselves right yeah 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 exactly yeah we take that that tenet of naturopathic medicine that guiding principle very seriously I mean there's a reason it's I think what's the first one first do no harm yeah I'm terrible this is a pop quiz no it's not no it's not my my professors (laughs) would be mad at me um I think the first one is first do no harm and I think the very second one is docere doctor is teacher yes yeah so essential I don't see myself as the doctor who is you know handing down the treatment plan holier than now on high I see myself as a guide and yeah a teacher I can show you the way I can show you I can help you prioritize what to do first I can share with you my wisdom but it's your job to walk down the road it's your job to do these things every day it's your job to tell me if you don't think that is the right thing to do next. I mean, nobody knows your body better than you. You live in your body all day, <laughs> yeah. every day, for all the years of your life, and I am not going to try to pretend to know more about your body than you do. I mean, just simple as that. So <laughs> one of my favorite professors, what, I forget, I haven't quoted him in a while. In a while. He said, uh, 
just let your patients just keep talking. They'll tell you exactly what's wrong. Oh, <laughs> like, oh my God. Just let them talk longer. They'll, they'll give you the diagnosis on a silver platter. Like, right. Yeah, that's, it's true. And yeah. that's, you know. And they just want somebody to listen, for gosh sakes, because you do, when you're in the allopathic world and you try to go to your doctor, yeah. you have like five seconds yeah. to try to explain. And they, they can't learn anything in, you know, how five yeah. minutes or whatever that they're given or 10 minutes. I mean, yeah. what can you learn in that amount of time? Like, it's very, very difficult. Yeah. I mean, obviously, a lot of people who come to see me are very frustrated with, you know, not getting answers from, you know, standard um, medical approach from allopathic doctors. And I don't see it as an either or. I just see it as I'm another specialty within medicine and I offer a different approach. But I always remind my clients, like, the doctors working within the system are, you know, held by that system as well and yeah. they might not They're like necessarily <laughs> enjoy it either so I mean I don't want to say anything no, like inappropriate but oh girl you don't have to say it. we I talk about it all on here <laughs> everybody who listens to my podcast knows how I feel <laughs> although I, I will mean, say I mean there's a time and a place and I I've said it I mean most people think that you know if I broke an arm or something like that I'm going to go to the hospital exactly. and hope that's where that's where I'm going to go. You know, if mm-hmm. it's an acute thing, mm-hmm. but these long term chronic issues or I mean, mm-hmm. autoimmune or I mean, mm-hmm. any even heart disease or cancer. I mean, in my opinion, I, that's just not where where it's at, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, we all go into medicine because we want to help people, For sure. right? I mean, genuinely, nobody's going to suffer through medical school. No. Oh gosh, unless it's they care because they care. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's it's blood, sweat, and tears. No joke. Yeah. Um, but you know, then when people when doctors who you know have to work within that that regulated medical system, you know, they're they're told how long they can spend in a room with a patient, you know, based on that patient's complaint. And, you know, they have to... Oh, it's based on the complaint. Based on... Really interesting. Mm-hmm. I didn't know that. Mm-hmm. Based on... Well, well, I shouldn't say they're told. Like, insurance yeah, okay. payments are yeah. based on the diagnostic code. And oh. the insurance company has a say in what level of visit complexity you should have... You know, how much time you should have spent in the room, basically, based on that complaint, based on that diagnosis code. So it's not that someone's saying, get out of that room in five minutes, but it's a matter of making ends meet and keeping your doors open and how much you reasonably know you're going to get reimbursed by an insurance company for what that patient needs help with, right? Mm -hmm. So do you see, and you don't have to answer this if you don't want to, um, (laughs) with that system and that whole paradigm do you believe that there is going to be a shift in a positive way with the way everything is set up? Or do you think it's going to come like crashing down because it's kind of a mess? <laughs> That's a good question. I haven't really thought that one. I'm so busy in my day-to-day taking care of my patients in my world. Um, That's what I say. You don't have to answer. I, <laughs> I am really involved in legislative work. So oh, awesome. I, I serve as the president of the North Carolina Association of Naturopathic Physicians. And so... I'm also the co-chair of our legislative committee, so I spend a lot of time interacting with lawmakers and um, lobbyists and advocating for the um, for access to naturopathic and integrative medicine, increased access. And I th- believe in my heart, maybe I'm just an eternal optimist, but lawmakers want to increase access to integrative medicine to natural therapies I mean that's the consistent message that I hear I never have a lawmaker say 
go away. That's crazy talk. Yeah, I don't, I'm not interested that's in that. That's quackery. <laughs> never. I mean, never. Wow. Literally. They're always like, oh my gosh, tell me more. Huh. That's really interesting. You know, my neighbor saw one of those naturopathic yeah. doctors or my neighbor saw one of those integrative doctors and she, her life was changed. I mean, most at this point, most people have had, if not a personal experience, then Connection. a close friend or family member who have had an experience with a different approach, whether that's with a naturopathic physician, with a functional medicine specialist, with an integrated physician, with even just a more holistically minded MD or with a chiropractor or an acupuncturist. Most people have had some touch point there mm-hmm. when they've seen what's possible and they're inspired by it. I mean... That's an uplifting experience. Yeah. So (laughs) I think they genuinely want that change. Um, And also when you look at the data, I mean, they're no dummies. Like we save money. I mean, we we save healthcare systems money. We get people well. Yeah. And by teaching them to eat right and exercise and use herbal therapies and optimize their nutrition, which is not expensive medicine. Um, so when you look at the bottom line, I mean, I forget, I think it was, I think it was a study in Washington state. I'm terrible for not being able to exactly quote this, but, um, they discovered, they, they did a really exhaustive, um, review of all the literature and came to the conclusion that when naturopathic doctors were licensed in a state that they saved the state's healthcare plan money, significant amounts of money, regardless of whether or not they were able to participate in the state health plan, which speaks volumes, like not even able to bill that insurance, just the fact that naturopathic doctors could practice in that state saved the state money. That's awesome. Because the population got healthier, right? So, wow. It's pretty amazing. So I think, and obviously so many people became really aware of the importance of diet and nutrition and and when I say diet I don't mean counting your calories I mean what you put in your mouth yeah (laughs) Uh, nutrition time outside stress management social connection through COVID Mm -hmm. so many of us became so much more aware as a population of those foundations of health and happiness and that has just caused a monumental shift in our collective consciousness that there's I don't think there's any way we can not shift the cat's out the bag <laughs> yeah for a lot yeah yeah so yeah, I agree with that yeah and yeah that's again I'll mark you I know I think I I I like to think I'm an optimist but then sometimes then I read stuff about like pharmaceutical corruption and I'm like they're gonna ruin everything <laughs> we're doomed <laughs> well I mean, they're even <laughs> starting to do research on, uh, you know, I mean, actually, they have been doing research on natural products. The tricky thing with the pharmaceutical industry is you can't patent. I know. Nature. Uh, you, you know. You can't patent nature. <laughs> can't you can't make money off of it. You can't make money off of it. I know. So they don't want it. But I think it's just like you, going back to, to you um, talking with legislators or whatnot. I mean, most people have a story of someone who's healed from, yeah, seeing a naturopathic doctor or changing their diet or doing all these different things so that you know it, it wakes people up to well maybe there is something else than, than just taking a pill you know mm-hmm. and a lot of people are being failed by these pills obviously so they're trying to go somewhere else <laughs> well and it's funny because for so long that was considered like a hippy dippy liberal uh platform or you know outlook and now it's very conservative to be 
you know, a fan of natural medicine, natural therapy. Mm-hmm. So it's becoming part of a more conservative agenda for sure. Yeah. Um, but I mean, call your legislator, please. Right, yeah. I mean, make your voice heard. Huh. Tell your representative, your senator or your representative, or hmm, I mean, good... ideally both. Yeah. That, hey, I want access to integrative medicine, to naturopathic medicine. Mm. I mean, they represent you. They should hear your voice. I love it. Do so you have, I mean, you just, you just like look up your legend. I, I don't know how to do this. So how do you do this? <laughs> you just like. You can, oh my gosh, I wish I knew the website off the top of my head. You can Google it. I mean, it's so okay. easy. There, there's, yeah. um, there's a specific website. I forget what it is where you just enter your zip code and they tell you yeah. who your state and national And you just like email are. them. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 Okay, everybody listening, go do that. <laughs> <laughs> it's super easy. Yeah. I mean, this is the thing. If we want, if we want change, we have to. We can't just expect other people to do it. So we have to put a little effort. In. An email is not very hard. <laughs> yeah, it's a heavy lift because I mean, I um, I do like I said a lot of legislative work, and I I'm a very active activist. Um, but when I'm in the halls of our General Assembly talking about the power of naturopathic medicine and how that should become part of the medical system in our state, obviously that's self-serving, right? Because that's my profession. And yes, I'm speaking for my patients and it's for the greater good, but it's still yeah, my profession. You're in that. <laughs> but when other people call, when patients call, when people from the industry call, when you know that has a whole different level of influence. Mm, so true. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Got political. I know. It happened. It happens. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, <laughs> I don't know. Whenever I'm talking about allopathic versus any type of other <laughs> healing modality, it can get political. So, <laughs> well, it has been a pleasure. Um, Tell us what you have in the works right now. Anything, any new, any things that you want to report or news or? Well, I'm working on some group programs that I hope to, you know, I, I was talking about how we roll this out to a larger audience, make it more accessible. And the answer to that is, is group health, I think. Mm-hmm. And I don't mean group health, like the name of the health insurance company from the West <laughs> Coast. I mean, like literally, you know, um, reaching a broader audience by educating people in a group setting. Um, so I'm working on that. That's not ready to go yet. And if my kids don't completely distract me at the beach every day all summer, I hope to have it <laughs> <laughs> released released in the fall. Um, I think the best thing to do is start following me on Instagram. So it's at Dr. Amy Hawkins. So Dr. Amy Hawkins. Um I'm new to Instagram. I only have three posts on my wall so far, but I have been posting stories for a while, but I'm going to be most consistent with updates in that um, area through Instagram. Cool. Yeah. Awesome. Well, thank you. It has been such a pleasure. Thank you for having me. It's been so fun. Yeah. Okie doke. Until next time. I hope you enjoyed that episode and learned something new. Be sure to follow Dr. Amy on Instagram and you can check out her website. I will put all of that information in the show notes. Also, if you haven't already subscribed to the podcast, please be sure to do so. You can also subscribe to my newsletter at therefinedhippie.com. And until next time, my lovely friends, peace and plants. <laughs>